fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to FGGBT. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology. We make it a reality. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn, with me. The physics phenom, Dr. Michael Denon. Dan, it is so great to be here. This is one of those moments where I've learned about myself. Um, despite my great interest in Transformers as a toy, apparently I never watched the movies until we actually prepared for this episode. Well, you know, I'm in the same boat, Denon. Uh, when I was a kid, Transformers were very important to me. As an adult, not at all. Not important at all. Uh, but there is one person who is important, not only to you and I, but to everyone watching. And that's our enigmatic engineer, Ben Seepser. Ben, how are things going up there on the brain station? You know, Dan, this week I've gone back to my robotics roots. Um, I've been working really hard on what I'm calling, for legal reasons, an amorphous robot. Um, <laughs> it, allows my, it allows my new creations to blend in wherever I need them to go. Uh, but I still like to think of them as robots in disguise. <laughs> well, I like to think of you as a robot in disguise, Ben. And, and, and we're going to get into that. You know, we're talking about Transformers, uh, the, the obviously the, the movies. Uh, Rise of the Beast is the most recent one. Uh, we're going to talk about all of them. But when I was a kid, I don't know if you guys, if this brings true with you guys, but I was more of a GoBots fan. I really enjoyed their more rich and nuanced culture. I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, you know, Dan, you're, you're, you're causing me a little bit of a stump here because I was not a GoBots fan, um, so I'm not sure what rich culture you're talking about. Um, I definitely I definitely was a, a straight-up Transformers um, and, and used Transformers as, like, you know, a major center of play for a, a number of years. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, I was not much of a Transformers fan growing up as a kid. I think, I think either the toys were too expensive or maybe I was just a little too young. Maybe I... You know, the boat had already arrived <laughs> on them by the time uh, I was a kid. I, I definitely remember va very vaguely watching some of the cartoons growing up, but I never had the toys. Um, and, you know, I came into it, you know, I came into it as an adult watching the movies because uh, wow. they came out while I was in college. That's that's crazy. That's so interesting. Uh, you know, I think it's funny because, you know, as the master of film and television, when I saw this movie, I realized that I have slowly moved into the age where when a movie a movie comes out and happens in the past, it's happened in my childhood. And this is one of those movies where when I was a kid, everything happened in the 50s and 60s. And now everything's happening in the 90s. Uh, it's a little depressing, especially when I notice all of the pop culture references like in this movie, you know, we see uh, the, this Rise of the Beast takes place in the 90s, and you know you got Power Rangers references. You know Mario and Bowser. They talk about Air Jordans. Um, you know this is. I don't know if it's depressing, uh, but it's definitely a sign of the times. I can give you something even more depressing, Dan. Um, let's do it. So uh, let's just say I think I am slightly older than you, um, mm -hmm. and and what I'm finding is. Um, apparently, because I was at the tail end of grad school, which is a very focused time in the 90s, um, a brief window of opportunity, and then I had my first child, which is another very focused time. My God. I don't get any 90s references. I thought I lived through the 90s, and I thought I understood it. And apparently, I only remember the 80s and the 2000s. So I watch so these, and I just really get terrified. I'm like, really? A whole decade, and I missed it. 
That's so interesting. I mean, yeah. I, I think I missed, I remember the early 2000s, but from like 2005 to 2000 now, <laughs> since we started the show, I guess, uh, like pop culture, I, I guess I, I've got that like, you know, selective memory yeah. as well. Yeah, no, it, it's like, I know the names, these words you say make sense to me, Dan, <laughs> like, but they yeah. conjure nothing. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, that clearly explains why you never saw you were not familiar with the Transformers movies, Dan. <laughs> yeah, well, well, hold on. I was familiar with them. I mean, let's be. Megan Fox was in them, so I was aw I was aware of the movies. Um, but I, I don't. I, they weren't like a part of anything I was yeah. like doing at the time. That's that's crazy. Now that I'm thinking about it, I mean, like I'm aware of Cardi B, but I don't know if you wear it to a party, if you wear it to. <laughs> You know, I don't know how you wear that particular sweater. Uh, and, and dad jokes. There, I yes. got them. All right. So let's. So what we're talking about, you know, when you when you talk about selective memory, then and you're talking about raising kids, going through grad school. This is life you're living. Right. Yes. You know, I, I'm living life, too. I'm moving forward. We're all transporting through time. And in this episode, you know, Transformers seems to be important to all of us. So I thought I would start this show out with a bang. Let's talk about something huge, gigantic that uh, that only we can tackle. And that is the question that I'm going to place to you thusly. What is life? And believe it or not, when I was watching Transformers, <laughs> this question came to my mind. What is life? And, you know, I think, Denon, you kind of looked into the definition of life <laughs> that I think we're going to, exp how we're going to explain Transformers is locked in the key of that definition. Well, yeah, you know, when we, when we think about it, I just remembered very clearly my first biology class in high school where we define life and being kind of fascinated by that you would actually define it. So I had to actually go research. I don't know if this is the exact you know, five points from my high school biology class. I feel like there's been some updates, but it felt very familiar and close. And, you know, the key things are the capacity for growth. And, mm -hmm. you, you know, the key is you got to include plants in this, right? Because they're alive. We're talking about physical growth, not mental yeah. and spiritual growth. Exactly. Physical, growth. physical yeah. growth. Reaction to stimuli. Life mm -hmm. reacts to stuff. One mm -hmm. of the ones I find interesting, metabolism, you like basically doing chemistry, but specifically, they call out energy transformation. If we think about it, that's like the physics of life. And then the big one, life has to be able to reproduce. Um, mm -hmm. And that's an interesting one to me because it's unclear, you know, could you be, I mean, we've talked in the show a lot about being alive and living forever, right? Mm -hmm. If you were mm -hmm. a being that just lived forever and didn't want any, you know, other copies of yourself or partial copies of yourself floating around, I mean, you might not reproduce. And according to this definition that I got in high school biology, you would not be alive. Right. I mean, if you get a vasectomy, can you, uh, are you yeah. alive anymore? Exactly. I mean, <laughs> what if you're born sterile? Are you alive? I mean, you know, you can go through the motions, but the actual reproduction part is beyond you. I mean, that's an interesting point. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, that that's part of it there. Well, I think it's more, well, I mean, the you, you definitely bring an issue up there with the capability of reproduction versus the <laughs> actually doing it. Um, sure. Because you, you've clearly uh, called out some things there that are not even capable of reproduction. But I think if you as a species in general reproduce, <laughs> uh, then you are, that, that would be an indicator of aliveness, what, get, whether or not any given individual 
mm-hmm. might be might fail at that process. So, so yes. basically, what you're saying, Ben, you're a communist when it comes to reproduction. It's the community aspect, <laughs> yeah. not the individual. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. It, it takes a village. I think is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, look, I, I think, you know, given all the interesting things that happen in law in, in recent years, I think it is hilarious to find a loophole that if you can't reproduce, you are not technically alive and therefore not subject to certain laws and regulations. That would be a great thing. I'd like to see uh, <laughs> make it to the Supreme Court. Uh, but you know, I'm talking about this for a reason, you know, and that is because in Transformers, they're they, they, they're trying to find this device called the cube uh, and the all spark. Which is, I mean, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that where you can basically take this cube and you can turn, I mean, talk about a sign of the times. In the movie, they turn a Nokia phone. <laughs> use that. uh, that's, a word from the, that's a word from the 90s. Uh, they take a phone and they turn it, you know, by hitting it with the spark, it becomes alive, complete with weapons. It turns into mm-hmm. like a mini transformer. And I just thought about how interesting, you know, this is in some ways like a machine god. It is handing out life. And as far as we know, the only thing that can really hand out life is nature or and you know and people have explained that concept with religion there isn't really a scientific way to describe you know i've talked about the sydney fox experiments where they kind of created what was like life adjacent you know through chemical means but in general you know denon as as our as our religion expert here uh really this has been that's been the realm of religion and spirituality well it has for the most part because as you've pointed out i mean i the science challenge is the following we know the principle of how you get from sort of inorganic matter to life. And, and the key final step is making molecules that can replicate, right? Mm-hmm. And so we actually, despite the fact that it has the word theory in front of it, from the time you get RNA, basically, DNA helps to have on, we can understand the whole evolution of life. That, that's pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. And we can understand, I would argue, 80% of the chemistry to get from static things to DNA and RNA. And, and there is some missing steps. What I think is really cool, as uh, you know, the resident skeptic on Ancient Aliens, often mm-hmm. streaming on Netflix. Right, right. right. Maybe even right now. <laughs> Maybe even right, right now. now yeah. Is it, 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 and this goes actually to the AllSpark, which I would argue is extreme chemistry, and we can get to that. There, there is some thought and some basis to that some of the key chemicals did come from space because space... High radiation, low temperature, low pressure is a range of chemistry we haven't fully explored. So I I do think in this case that transition from non-life to life really requires finding the right chemistry. Um, And yes, we we tend to use a god of the gaps to fill it in, but I would argue, despite being a religious person, that that's not necessary. And we can, you know, spend hours on that, Dan, and I know you would like me to not spend hours and and just stop. Sure, yeah. If we could wrap it up, it'd be great. (laughs) It's really tricky when you think about, too, in in the nature of this mechanical life, um, because you have this, this whole situation with the Transformers of, you know, metal is not... A very reactive well it, it's not organic necessarily it, you know it's not gonna it's not gonna self-replicate and it's not going to lend itself to more complex uh developments mm-hmm. naturally like biological um organic life does right. so it, it's this really interesting thing where there there's there has to be a real intelligence a real guiding hand to for in the AllSpark example, to turn the Nokia phone, the Xbox, the soda machine 
into a murderous robot. Like that takes real intelligence and real um, intention, unlike ev evolved uh, life. Yeah, I think so. I mean, when we look at the Allspark, you know, it, it, it is creating, I mean, basically intelligent, movable robots from seemingly static objects. And I think, you know, mm -hmm. it, there is a, there is an AI component, right? But I mean, it, it's about, you know, what does really giving life mean for a robot? You know, when we look at our, our stories in history, you look at, you know, Frankenstein's monster, you look at uh, Pinocchio, you know, when it comes to like biological life, it, it requires magical components in, in some ways. And what's interesting is this is much easier for us being biological creatures, well, most of us being biological creatures. <laughs> Looking at this, it makes a lot more sense on how you can take machines and give them life, or at the very least, the appearance of life. Because, you know, we can't really do that readily with biology the way we see it here. But in some ways, what we see in this movie, while a little fantastical, could be possible in, let's say, 100 years? Well, I think there's two pieces, Dan, that you're pulling out here that are really important, and Ben alluded to one of them. And I think in the 90s, it would have been much harder to make a Nokia phone, phone a soda machine, a toaster, mm -hmm. living and intelligent, right? Mm -hmm. Because of the lack of computer chips in those. Um, okay. I think I mm -hmm. think technology right now, we almost we almost build nothing without computer chips. So this intelligent piece, right, to turn something that doesn't appear intelligent to intelligent is about changing or adding programming to the computer chips that's there. So to your point, I would argue that the consciousness part of life, the intelligent part of life, is scarier and easier and closer than we think um, because of the nature of, of how we build machines. It's the movement part that fascinates me. Like that's what seems magical is you take a toaster that actually has – none of the right moving parts to become a robot. Yeah, and right. the AllSpark magically makes it movable, too, and weaponized. That's, mm -hmm. that's the part that I think is a little harder to understand from just zapping something with energy, right? So that's kind of the two pieces there, I think, that are kind of interesting to think about given our current technology. Yeah, I like that you brought up this kind of the smart device revolution as we have now, where our, everything is an Internet of things, right? Your toaster can connect to an app to tell you when your toast is done or <laughs> let you set your uh, darkness settings uh, via via app instead of a, a, a knob like mm. like normal. <laughs> uh, and, and and it's important there because that 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 interaction, that that networking capability that allows an intelligence to either manifest in the device itself or just take control of it through that wireless technology that is inhabited that could then inhabit that toaster via that internet of things link. Yeah. I mean, then you said it's closer and more readily, readily available than we think. And yeah, you know, I, I don't include myself in that. I completely agree that this is, <laughs> yeah. you know, this, if this, I think this is happening now. I just don't think we know about it. You know, well, as you mentioned, what we, you know, look, what we see in technology in the world is, 10 years behind what we're actually capable of. And I pulled yeah. that number right out of my keister. But uh, but I think it's mm -hmm. I think it's true. You know, all 70 percent of all made up statistics are pretty accurate. And so yeah. I think <laughs> that, you know, I think I'm Dan, right. I there, think but it's 80. 
80, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, 80%. Uh, but, but, but it's, you know, I, I think that this is really close. And you are right then, and it's that movable part. Like, you know, the the, the transforming part of Transformers that is the, that really is the key here. So I, I want to ask just quickly, you know, given the definition that you gave, Denon, would you consider, are the Transformers alive? I mean, would you consider them to be living beings as we see them on in the movie? You know, I think as they are, it's an interesting question. I have to kind of go yes um, for I feel like they hit most of the points of life that I, I feel about. Um, the core ones for me are the reaction to stimuli, metabolism, and energy transformation. They're clearly doing that, right? They're coming mm-hmm. in and out of reacting to things. They're doing sort of um, – they clearly have some sort of energy source, so they're metabolizing, right? They, they take in the – you know, I believe it's blue glowing stuff. I think I got the color right. Yeah, it's um, called energ- Energon, I think. Right, Energon. Yeah. right. So they have to metabolize that somehow. Mm. Um, they're clearly reacting to stimuli. They regularly blow up things they don't like. Um, <laughs> so, you know. It's true. Um, so I think the thing to think about is how much do we really care about growth? Because it's not, I mean, they come kind of fully formed. Yeah. Um, and how much do we care about reproduction? Like, do they make other ones and, and do they just build another thing and zap it? Or, like, how does that that happen? Um, so th- I think they, they hit most of the key things of life for me, Dan. Well, I mean, when you think about the repro- the, the growth is an interesting one. And, and you kind of see a little bit of that in the sense that they'll, when they, when the Decepticons land on Earth, they scan you know, things to hide as and, and transform into that new, you know, hidden, that new uh, disguise. But yeah, I, I don't think growth is inherently necessary. I mean, if you think about single celled stuff, you know, it grows very briefly and it'll split and make more of itself. But mm-hmm. as an adult, it doesn't really grow anymore, but it's still alive. Well, yeah, I mean, clearly at some point growth stops for living things, um, Ben, because I have not grown yeah. in a while. Um, mm-hmm. And we yeah. can we can also talk, you know, spiritually and emotionally here, perhaps. Um, <laughs> but certainly physically my growth has stopped. And for some of us, growth may reverse itself. So I don't know yeah. how that plays into this. So I, I think it's the capacity for some growth is really the ability. And I, maybe you could argue that these things could add new parts to themselves. And that's growth. Um, yeah. uh, you're jumping in hole on here, Den, and I'm, I'm going to stop you right there because that's what I was going to say. Okay, you gotta I'll shift stop. Your, you got to shift your perspective here on what growth is, mm-hmm. I think, you know, because I think 100% they're alive. And, and I think it is when you have a cell or a creature that's growing, what are they? Re- you look at a tree. What's a tree really doing or, or an animal? They're eating or taking in molecules and they're turning them into other things that make them grow, right? If you take in protein mm-hmm. and you work out, it turns that protein into muscle. Now, this is an mm-hmm. involuntary automated reaction in your body that does that. But when you look at a robot, okay, so then they take in metal around them and they can build themselves an arm. They're doing it consciously, but they can grow. I mean, you know, they could turn themselves into stuff. So I think 100%, if you shift your perspective, they are growing. And the same can be true for reproduction. You know, for human Mm -hmm. beings, it's a, you know, um, there is obviously a a consensual part of that. But once (laughs) the fluids have mixed, the process that creates a, a child is automated, 
right? right. It's stuff going mm-hmm. on, but just make it conscious for a robot and you got the same thing. So I think, then and you're being, you know, if we're human-centered here, humanist, uh, which it doesn't have quite the... That doesn't have the ist term that I wanted to do there. Uh, but you know what I'm trying to say. If, you're, yes, if, we're human, totally eth- if we're human-centered, then of course it doesn't make sense. But let's just turn our perspective into a robot world. And, you know, I think it makes sense. And I think you're right there, Dan. And that's why I said, for me, it clearly is alive. It hits the core three. And I think the other two, you just have to think about differently. I liked your yeah. analysis there um, yeah. very much. You know, I, I think the other interesting thing, which I noticed in the definitions of life, um, when I was looking them up, there are some old ones that actually included made of cells. And that is particularly mm. biocentric, right? Carbon-centric. Yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's carbonist. There we go. It's carbonist. <laughs> and it also rules out the interesting issue yeah. of viruses, right? Yes. Which, you know, by the, the stream down version of alive, you know, there is an argument. Many people do think viruses are alive, and this mm-hmm. definition might do it. Um, they need something, they need external materials to reproduce. They need the other cell that they take advantage of. The robot needs an external system to reproduce. It needs other metals and it just builds another robot outside of itself. Um, but I'm willing mm-hmm. to grant that. If we get a little, if we're not so cellular centric, um, we can we can live with our, our robot and virus friends. In the, in the life yeah, club. I, in, the, in the life <laughs> club. And it all yeah. becomes a bigger circle of life. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if anything, you, you would almost see the Transformers as somewhat of a mechanical virus, right? They're, <laughs> oh, the, wow. the AllSpark <laughs> creates um, robot metabolism, whatever we want to find that is, in an otherwise inorganic, in unalive uh, machinery. Uh, you know, it, it is injecting that virus, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and turning a toaster into a murder bot. Well, you know, what I really wonder, Ben, when you bring that up is, if the AllSpark interacted with my F Triple GPT mug, mm. right, um, it would clearly not become a murderous, rampaging robot. Um, I think it would become only more helpful to my survival and my spiritual well-being. So I, I would be real curious to see, um, you know, the next Transformer movie. I, I'm hoping the producers and directors and writers are watching. I, I think there is a great way to go. Um, which is F Triple GPT merch saving the universe from the Decepticons. You know, I'm glad you brought that up. It, it made me think for a second because we see, I, I don't think we've ever seen a mug, a, a ceramic um, transformer, but we've certainly seen plastic ones, so why not, right? Right. But but if you want a really high quality transformer when you finally find the AllSpark, I would get the F Triple GPT uh, stainless steel water bottle because that's really... The nutrients the Transformers need to make a, a great uh, new Transformer. I think this is all great. And, you know, I think modesty comes naturally with life. And what you want to do is cover it up with something that's appropriate for a biological assuming robot. And that would be biology is nature's technology. And we have now expanded that definition to include robots and uh, any sort of metal-based creatures. And I think that that's that's inclusive. I think we're, we're, that's what really, we're 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 very progressive here, and we're pushing the, the envelope forward. We're including lots of things in life and lots of things uh, in our merch catalog. So fgbt.com backslash merch is where you find all that stuff. Uh, but where you find robots, where you find the transformers. 
it's on Cybertron, right? So <laughs> when when we look at, you know, we talked about droid culture in our Return of the Jedi episode uh, earlier this season, but I, I I I want to think about if we have if we're con- considering Transformers to be alive, they're creating civilization on a planet, you know, what would that planet look like? Where would a Transformer? really thrive. I don't know that it would be on a planet like Earth where you have lots of water, lots of things that are that support life. You'd want it on probably more of a rocky iron type of planet that, you know, may or may not have oxygen at all, because I believe that that would make them rust if it has water. You would want things that don't have these chemical processes. This is just what I'm thinking, you know, as far as what the planet itself would look like. And then we can talk about like what a civilization would look like. I think you're right there. An all, say, nitrogen atmosphere would be much better for the Transformers because you'd have this an, an inert mm-hmm. um, environment in which to, uh, so you're not going to rust. Uh, you don't need your stainless steel. You can just have plain old mild steel, uh, right. which is easier to uh, work with. Um, <laughs> but I, I think, but even Earth, you know, Earth, once you get past the gross uh, carboniferous um, outer shell of Earth, it's, there's a lot of iron there. So really, um, you know, any planet will do. You just really want to scorch it and get rid of the oxygen. Well, I, I think that's an interesting question um, because there is this sense, at least certainly for the Decepticons, right, that, that mm-hmm. part of them becoming alive seems to have this strange sort of mandate to eliminate um, carbon-based life forms around them. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so maybe there is a sense about making their environment more appropriate for their metabolism and such. Um, and, and we hadn't really talked about a lot in, in, in the first segment here of being alive. But I think, Dan, the environment that is also going to be driven by their energy source. OK. Right. OK. Because because yeah. you have, you know, from one extreme, maybe they have some really cool nuclear powered battery or reactor going mm-hmm. on where you don't need oxygen to burn. You don't use a, a sort of standard, oh, um, right. you know, combustion type thing. But if they are following sort of an evolutionary trajectory, hence, but a mechanical one, mm-hmm. I can imagine that early in the Transformers culture, life, and civilization, they did need oxygen. They did need water because they're fundamentally doing some sort of um, combustion, maybe a steam engine, right? I mean, okay. Dan, we we are about, you know, the steam Definitely. technology world. <laughs> Certainly are. So they need so, water for that. I mean, they need something so they, to yeah. boil, right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm wondering if, if it's a planet that evolves along with them as they evolve. Right. Hmm. That they are they emerge on sort of a water, oxygen, steam based technology, um, steampunk transformers. Another movie that will probably be (laughs) stolen from us. That's a great Uh, one. (laughs) So we got to claim the rights to that now. Um, But, you know, steampunk transformers. And then as they evolve, you know, to this safer, you know, nitrogen nuclear powered based society. I mean, that makes sense. You know, the chemistry of life as we know it, the, you know, carbon, oxygen, that's a lot easier. It's, it's chemically great, right? A lot of, a lot of very low energy reactions uh, or low activation energy reactions, I think is the right. Right. purely correct term, right? Uh, so, but the, um, but I think, I think it's also reasonable to say that the transformers are an enlightened life that has come after that carbon-based <laughs> life form. And perhaps mm. now they've 
then gone and exterminated it because they they know that the carbon cycle creates oxygen, which rusts them. <laughs> that's it. I mean, that's interesting. Because I was gonna. My next question was, how do you think that they view biological life? And it sounds like Ben and you're you have an expertise in this sort of sort of thing. Uh, <laughs> you think that they would see them as a nuisance, something to be exterminated. Well, you know, I've, I've been playing a lot of. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons based games recently and I, and I think of the rust monster and I think I think that's what how the transformers see us <laughs> as uh, create rust monsters that are coming to get them and that's why the Decepticons are so um, nervous about us yeah well there is that feature but we do have the the you know the Autobots that um, actually like us and work with us right mm -hmm. um, that's true and so I think I think there's two sides to this um, there, there is a level right which they're self-sufficient and they want to avoid rust, etc. But I think we underestimate often the, the power of a collaboration and working together. And I do think carbon-based life like us and robot-based life like them bring different um, talents and skills to the table. Okay. And the challenge, Dan, is always figuring out how to work together in a space where, you know, you're slightly dangerous for each other as well. Yeah, like us. I mean, basically, yeah. like this particular group, uh, we all work right, yeah. together, but we're a little dangerous for each other. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Uh, we could all agree. Well, so here's a here's a here's a dangerous question I have for you, Denon. Um, you know, when what what do you think their religion would be like, right? I mean, because here's the kind of what they have that we don't is proof of a physical God, right? They're the cube right. gives life. They see it. We see it. You know, they are looking at this whole process, you know, we, uh, we don't have that, you know, we haven't found the Holy Grail or the Ark of the Covenant or, or anything like <laughs> yeah. that. Oh, speak uh, for yourself, Dan. <laughs> I've right. got the hat for it. Yeah. It's hidden in my basement. <laughs> you, you might, you, yeah, you might be one step closer, uh, but for, for at least commonly knowledge, you know, the right. we yeah. that you used earlier, the, we aren't really hundred percent sure on that, but this is different with transformers. They have that, you know, so what does their, there, there's no question of whether they're right or wrong. It's just maybe interpretations on how it works. That's the only fundamental difference here I see. Well, you know, it, it is and it isn't. Um, and by the way, it's kind of ironic that I said it's hidden in my basement when I don't have a basement, but we don't have to <laughs> go into that detail. I just had to throw that out for full disclosure. Sure. Now, clearly, if it, people watching on YouTube, you will see that I am, in fact, in a basement, which is built like a bunker. Right. So, of course, that's yeah. where I am. <laughs> now, so, I, what I find fascinating about the AllSpark is it just reminds me of the quote that any sufficiently advanced technology um, mm -hmm. will look like magic. It's right. indistinguishable mm -hmm. from magic, right? right? Often attributed to Arthur C. Clarke. Yeah. And, and, well, and by I, me, Carl Sagan. I often say Carl Sagan, okay, but it Sagan. is actually quoted by <laughs> Arthur C. Clarke, I believe. Clark. <laughs> yes, yeah. So, so what I love about this is, as we know, as the resident Catholic and believer in God, mm -hmm. but I don't believe in a magical being God that zaps things. I, I It's a very different view where... Uh, has elements of, you know, God created the universe and created the laws of physics and evolution then worked within those laws. I think the Transformers have that struggle in that they have this allspark that looks visibly like a magical God. Mm -hmm. But if their science was only better, I think they would understand how that worked within the laws of sort of physics and mechanical universes to make them mobile and intelligent. Um, and then you have the, their, they would have that same existential crisis that many religious people have had is once you fill in a gap with science, mm -hmm. how does that impact your faith? So I, I, I suspect the strategy we would use is 
we solved the science of the AllSpark, and now we, we really mess with their society. And I think yeah. if you want to follow along here, Denon, I don't want to preempt you, but if you want to follow along, I think you sh- you have a book about this exact thing that I think I, might be. I definitely do. People can, you know, jump on, you know, Divine Science, Finding Reason at the Heart of Faith, mm-hmm. um, available, I think, everywhere on the Internet. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And throughout the, and throughout the universe. So I mean, if you, want the to, universe. if you want to catch up on what you're talking about, this this junction, but this is where you're really an expert. It's foam and God and science. That's exactly where, like, and you know, crack the code. If I if I may, Dan, um, mm-hmm. if people really want, you know, if they if they don't like reading, it is kind of that generation. Yeah. Apparently, you have a podcast. I do. Um, oh, where you're you right. have amazing guests who explain these sort of things, and I believe a Michael Denon was once one of your I, guests I, I on this area. Mm. I believe it's true. Yes, I think you should go and check out the fascinating nouns episode I did with Dr. Denon on the power of God and religion uh, and science. I will put a link for it. Uh, but this is quintessential in understanding how this whole thing works. I think. Well, it gets a little maybe simpler, maybe more complicated too, because if you go outside of the movie continuity. Mm-hmm. We know that on Cybertron, Cybertron is Primus, the actual creator of the Transformers. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so the Transformers personally know their creator. <laughs> but of course, then you have the problem of who created Primus. Right. Where, did, where did Primus come from? Yeah. And, and we're right back where we started. <laughs> well, I think that's clearly people, um, Ben, mm-hmm. because we're about to do that. Uh, as much as Dan fears artificial intelligence and robots taking us over, Absolutely. Um, I think... Again, and, you know, we always have the debate, is something natural or not? And I argue everything is natural because we're all part of nature. Um, We are part of evolution, and I think we are demonstrating that sort of people often, what's the next step after humans? You know, if you're human-centric, we're the pinnacle of evolution. Um, I think we are creating that next step of evolution, and it's not us evolving into something new. Well, maybe it's Mm -hmm. you as a cyber being, but it's us building the next step in evolution, which will be the Transformers. I, I like that a lot because, I mean, who wouldn't want to create Transformers? <laughs> but I, th- I, I think it also makes sense, you know, because it seems unlikely that mechanical life will evolve for some of the reasons we've discussed earlier. But I can, you know, now we're in the rogue AI apocalypse again. But uh. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I think it raises an interesting question, Dennett, because this is really an A plus B equals C. So does C plus B equal A. I didn't say that right. But uh, but I think, you know, if you're looking at if we are part of a natural world, we create machines, machines create intelligence. You know, that's the natural order. What about the other way? We're looking at transformers. If, Ben, you're saying that they didn't evolve on their own. Well, then didn't wouldn't it be true then that they would evolve and then the machines would then want to create additional life and they would create biological life. And therefore, humans would be the next step in the transformers evolution. Nah, machines are better, but uh, <laughs> I, I, but I also don't agree with the premise there that they haven't evolved. I mean, I think that's that's part of the beauty of the AI is that um, probably the earlier Transformers that Primus made, eh, not so good. I bet I bet they get their butts beat by uh, the later Optimus Primes and Megatrons of the world. Things are always upgrading. Cybertron things, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, things are always upgrading. Well, so here we have to talk. I mean, we have to talk about the transforming part. I have to transform that conversation into a conversation about actually transforming, which is a little meta. Uh, but, you know, I, I think this is the key. It's in their name, guys. Uh, it's their literally <laughs> their defining characteristic is transforming. So we've we, you know, mm-hmm. we've agreed that they're that 
they have life, they have an interesting culture on Cybertron. Um, but how does this changing around, right? Like as human beings, we kind of just are who we are. You know, there's plastic surgery that people can start to look very, very strange. Uh, but for the most part, it's not instantaneous and it requires, you know, a professional. Uh, sometimes that's in quotes, sometimes it's real professional. But for Transformers, they don't have to. They can be a car, they can be a humanoid creature, and sometimes they can even transform into additional objects. So this is the true robot in disguise, the ultimate camouflage that they have. And I want to talk about how this kind of works, because I have to admit, in the movie, uh, it looks really, really cool. Yeah. And, and you know what, Dan? I think this is one of the really, from a physics perspective, something people really need to understand about the material. I really think it's a physics material property and the difference between a mechanical system and a chemical system. Okay. Right? Biological life, though we have joints, though we have moving parts, fundamentally depends on a continuous skin that's chemically linked, right? Hmm. Um, to not leak, to not do other things that would be bad. I think there's a that's fundamentally right. different design principle behind the transformer and a metal, basically a metal um, reality where mm -hmm. you can design interlocking components that move and rearrange. And I will tell you that transformer toys are proof that in principle this is doable, right? Um, they don't have working electrical connections, but that's no, I think, the easier part. <laughs> right, I, I think, yeah. right, the design of sure. movable parts that can be multiple shapes, we've done. Mm -hmm. Toys, mm -hmm. QED, yeah. um, you know, proof uh, uh, extraordinaire. Well, and even in the movies, they took great care to make the transformations actually physically real. Um, obviously, it's, it's all CG, but they actually, the things fit together correctly. <laughs> like, they, they don't cheat them much, if, if at all. Yeah. Um, that was a big part of what they tried to do, because they wanted it to look real. And to make it look real, you have to make it work. Um, but I like this thing about the skin and the keeping your insides in, because I think that's, that's a... Um, that's very important the, is to the, keep your insides that's the in. consequence yeah. of the biological warfare mm. that goes on on our planet right, right? Yeah. it's it's about being eaten it's about um having viruses and bacteria keeping them out but if you're a robot you don't have to worry about that kind of stuff you're you're not metabolizable the same way <laughs> i mean what what yeah. you worry about is like the other robot ripping your arm off and adding it to that to themselves and so you don't need a skin you don't need this kind of stuff dan i really really want a new t-shirt that says i am not metabolizable I, I i i'm writing it down right now that's pretty good <laughs> yeah i mean it's true i mean there there's you know that is what makes that line so good it, it's it's a really it's really true and you know i think what's what's interesting to me from this camouflage standpoint as you mentioned Ben, when the Decepticons come to Earth, they kind of scan everything. And they almost start out as like an amorphous group of almost, you know, like metallic Legos in a way where they can, yeah. they, they have, or like a pluripotent cell, you know, that we have where, <laughs> where you can, mm -hmm. it has everything you need to be something else. It just picks what that is, whether it's a car or a, a jet or, you know, something else that they want to be. That, that, what, that, I think that's really interesting for this. Some of it, Dan, is the key shapes. I, I think the looking different, I'm not sure how many different things they can actually be, though. That's the challenge for me. Infinite. I mean, based on the movie, they can be a lot. I mean, we yeah. see the police car. We see the, the jet. Mm -hmm. We see the crazy orange wrecker 
truck thing, whatever the heck that was. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it's reasonable that they could probably look like anything mechanical if they really need to. I mean, we see like some weird scorpion one in the second movie. Yeah. Those uh, animals that they yeah, are. Why not? Yeah, there's animals. Well, but I it. think if I'm right, any individual one has a limited number of things it turns into. Um, and, and I think yeah. that is kind of realistic, right? So there's two pieces I think of. They scan. They know the basic different core shapes their parts can make. And they pick something that fits their core shapes. Then within those core shapes, you had the added lever of like, okay, I can basically make cars cool, but now I can also, if I use cool LED displays on my external structure, I can make a much wider range of what the cars look like, and that's kind of more a traditional camouflage part. So okay. I really think, guys, there's kind of two different pieces to this. There's the rearranging the parts, and then mm -hmm. there's what I make my shell look like. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and I'm and I'm also really curious because we, we don't see it in the movie. Is can they do it? Can they rescan also? Right. You know, like your your cop car today. Can you become a tank tomorrow if you need to? Um, you know, that would go a long way to really telling us about kind of how their biology works in that set, their biology, right? Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. how 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 they're able to. Uh, um, are they able to switch it up? And if and if they're using LED screens like Dr. Denon's talking about, then it would seem very plausible that they can redisguise um, as as the mission calls. Robots in redisguise. Well, I will tell you that I, th you know, so I'm going to go meta on you for a second, but I think this is going to help explain Transformers. From a meta standpoint, they have to be one thing because that's the toy they have to sell, okay? <laughs> so they have to sell the car, they have to sell the robot, right? But let's say we're going to just Take, take that apart for a second. If you are really creating a race of creatures that can do this, I think they would genuinely have, you know, this would be equivalent to their quote unquote cells, right? They have little bits of like almost Lego-y building blocks that they can mm -hmm. use and turn into other things, right? You know, uh, they don't have internal organs. They don't have like an internal combustion engine. They have other ways, you know, there's, you can't really create small moving parts. They have other ways to propel themselves. But I think from an aesthetic standpoint, they could really turn their, you know, their cells into just about anything. I think that would really be the quintessential piece that makes them special and possible if Transformers were to be real. I think you're right there, Dan. Uh, from one perspective, the one challenge, the physics limit they have is they're always going to have to conserve mass and conserve the amount of stuff they have. Okay, And right. that's, I think, the challenge for some of them is actually you would be limited in how small an object you could make okay, um, and disguise yourself as hmm. if you were a particularly large robot to begin with. Um, and I do think it's a great question to ask, how small of a movable chunk can you make and still preserve internal integrity of connections. Mm -hmm. Once you're done rearranging, how many of your parts can be just inert blocks of matter and how much actually has to send connections, send signals? Where is your core brain and processing stored? Sure. Um, but I really like where you went with that. I mean, if you yeah. think of the Lego analogy, um, they can probably do a lot more than I was first proposing at the uh, beginning of this. Yeah, well, and we see some of that. I mean, we obviously we see the cell phone Decepticon and the well, sort of Decepticon. It's not anyway. Yeah, uh, he's just he's just mad. He's just, yeah, he's just and you crazy. see the the Xbox and and you know you see little things becoming robots. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I think that's part of it too. Like clearly they they build different sized 
machines that can take different forms. Like obviously Optimus Prime is a much bigger robot than Bumblebee. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, this is true. But it also brings us back to the earlier piece, Ben, where you have to think about if I do really want to crack the nut of exactly what does the AllSpark do, it is clearly the giving intelligence I can kind of justify Mm -hmm. as a download of a program through the Spark. Right. Mm-hmm. To your point, Dan, if you have the, bi- the quote, biology right, which I think you do, mm-hmm. the other thing the AllSpark has to do is take something we've built as a continuous piece of metal. Yes, right. And, mm-hmm. and subdivide it into interconnected pieces of metal. Yes. So basically, the AllSpark is just a really effective bandsaw. I mean, it yeah. is, yeah. Well, I mean, it doesn't even have to be a mechanical separator like that. I mean... It can be electrochemical because, I mean, obviously it's a sp- it's a, it's a literal spark, yeah. uh, and so you could certainly be zapping apart the uh, the chemical bonds yeah. that hold these objects together, the, and then rearranging them into what you need it to be at the atomic level. You know, you could even have mm-hmm. using, it could be made of a bunch of nanobots, which are the actual cells, right? Which maybe yeah. don't have their own individual intelligence, but maybe like ants, where it's like a little ant colony. Um, you could, you, I mean, this is pretty crazy. We could, I mean, and that goes back to our Ant Man, uh, our episode, which I know you like to promote <laughs> stuff. We could, you could do go back to that. Uh, right. So this, you know, I think we've kind of cracked Transformers, uh, and I will tell you that as the movie, not my favorite movie of all time, but made me think in a way that no other movie we've done has before. I don't know what to do with that information. That feels like I'm having a brain (laughs) error uh, with this new addition and something had to be omitted for that new information. And this is, you know, a good place to put your errors, additions, and omissions. So, Dan, is there anything about this movie that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to? Uh, Yeah, two things. Um, One is, you know, Bumblebee and cars that you can sit in. I I think that um, I didn't want to bring it up because, you know, I wanted to solve everything we talked about. But I think this difference (laughs) of, you know, making a space people can sit in and interact with versus being solid when you transform into a rocket, a car or a plane um, is a challenge, you know, but that's an engineering challenge for the future. Um, The other one is just my classic always concern is weapons and ammunition. You know, where do they come from? Um, how do you make them? What are you doing with them? And if you eat blue goop, can you use that to make weapons? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind mm-hmm. of, I guess it's not goop. If you eat blue glowing stuff. Energon. Yeah. It's not stuff. Energon it's specific. is yeah. part of what it does is metabolizing into weapons. Another point that they might be life. So yep, empty right. spaces and weapons. I, that's what life is all about, Dan. <laughs> In America, sure. Uh, what about you, Ben? Anything we talk about you don't want to get to? Well, well, to, to follow on Den in there just briefly, I, I mean, I think that's why I like the energy weapons they have a lot more than when they're like shooting g- guns because they, they are energy beings. It would make sense <laughs> that they could, you know, shoot lasers and force things and stuff like that. But the other thing I really want to think about is how, cl- how clearly forward thinking the Transformers are. You know, Dan, you were talking about how this was a bit of a head scratcher. Mm-hmm. How did Optimus Primal know to look like a gorilla on another planet somewhere else in the in the universe <laughs> right. um, before he came here? Mm. Probably even before gorillas had evolved. Uh, you know, that's some serious forward knowledge that uh, the primals had of the place they were going to be. Well, it speaks to my thought that, you know, maybe it was Optimus Primal who then created biology and created the first primate, which then became us. I mean, it, it could all work there. Uh, you know, this movie, so this movie takes place in 
1997, which I believe was the last year the Nokia phone was relevant because the iPhone came out later that year, which is kind of cool. <laughs> um, I'd like that they reverse engineer Megatron for all of their advanced electronics. Uh, you know, we cannot complete this episode without at least mentioning Ben's love of BattleBots, which is our real life <laughs> version of Transformers, although they don't really change, but they kind of do. Uh, I don't understand why these Transformers are in humanoid shape. And the last thing, which is proof that Transformers are actually biological or actually are alive, and that's Optimus Prime cares a lot about humans for absolutely no reason. <laughs> uh, and this feels like a mark of mental illness, which is only true in advanced life forms. So uh, they, Transformers are alive. I've proved it. But if you have anything, uh, if you don't believe that or you think that you want to add something to that, Here's where you do it. We can do get in touch with the show on social media. We are on Twitter at FGGBTPod, Facebook at FGGBT, website www.FGGBT.com. I don't think you have to say www anymore. That's pretty That's pretty 90s. Uh, FGGBT.com. <laughs> I'm stuck there, Denon. And if you want to send us a message, questions at FGGBT.com. But you can get in touch with us individually. Denon, where can people find you? Well, you can find me on all the social, major social medias. Just flip my name, at Denon Michael. Uh, if you're doing Facebook, that's the only one you got to stick a prof in there, at Prof Denon Michael. But even my website is DenonMichael.com because apparently there's another Michael Denon out there stealing my name everywhere. <laughs> I, love, I love it. Uh, Denon Michael TM. you got to trademark that, Denon, so no one yeah, else exactly. gets, gets a hold of that. What about you, Ben? Where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at BSeepSir. Golly, how do you spell that? Spell that B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. And I can be found on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, on Instagram and threads at the Daniel J. Glenn, and on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. And I have a website as well, DanielJGlenn.com, where you can find out all the things that I'm up to. Visit it at your leisure. And if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And if you're watching us on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss an episode. And finally, this show contains powerful information that can be misused by those hell-bent on world domination. So remember, take this information and do good with it when given the choice. Always be a superhero, never a supervillain. So until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, fgbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there fgbt.com and before you leave don't forget to check out our other episodes you can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got and you'll notice 
that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio-only version, depending on what you like. We got it for you, and if you do like those videos, you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well. We're on youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And once again, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to danieljglenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.